welcome back to another Ag Watchers. We've got a, a special guest. You might you might have seen the two of us two weekends ago on Landline as we oh, yes. as as, uh, as myself and and Chris Lawson regaled the world on the fertilizer industry. So two famous people on on Australia's best rural TV show. I did Chris. note though. I did note though, Andrew, when they used the audio footage from that video interview, they cut you out for, for ABC Country Hour and just kept Chris. So um, I reckon it was Chris that was the main star. Yeah, but they used they used all, all of me for the uh, the video footage, so I'm happy with that. They they actually put they superseded some footage over Chris, so they they weren't my face, but not my not my voice. <laughs> yeah, Chris, very good. Thanks for pleasure, coming. Pleasure on. to be back. Pleasure to be back. Thanks for having me, guys. And yeah, always great to appear on the on the telly. And my mum loves it. And I'm sure your mum gets the recordings as well, all the way in, in Scotland, Andrew. And that makes it at least two viewers. So sure, landline spikes on those weekends when we're on. No, we, we've got another viewer. We've got a uh, we've got Barry Barry Gray, who says that uh, I should be on it every week. Okay, there you go. He's just uh, some crazy, very, very crazy. Crazy, not a Twitter bot. Yeah, yeah, I reckon some <laughs> crazy Twitter person. No, every time I'm on landline, he says I should be on it. So Barry Gray, uh, good on you. Uh, Matt Brand Rural is a welcome addition with his market reports and great when he includes Wheat Watcher, but mostly take the chance to have 40 winks while it's on. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so there you go. So fertilizer markets, Chris. That's the uh, the talk of things again at the moment for the last 12 months or so or more. Give us a quick brief on what's happened over the recent weeks. Why is it, why is it a big concern again? I know the answer, yeah. but I'll let you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kept getting told I speak too much, so I'm going to just step back. <laughs> uh, very circumspect. Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, um, we're getting lots of questions in from all over the world at the moment as to what's happening with Fertilizer markets, the real talking point is the nitrogen market uh, due to what's happening in Europe with the extremely high gas prices. That's causing lots of the capacity there to curtail or, or shut down. Uh, and as a result of that, that's a fairly large chunk of, of global capacity. And uh, that means that Europe has to buy its nitrogen from elsewhere. And that generally sends prices higher. Uh, and we have seen that uh, translate into to high prices over the last month or so. I would say that prices aren't as high as what they probably should be when you look at the costs and the fundamentals. Um, and I think part of the reason for that is a very worrisome global economic outlook. Um, but yeah, nevertheless, what really matters for, for farmers and uh, the people that are listening to this podcast is that those nitrogen prices are uh, steaming higher yet again. Uh, they have come down over the course of the year after uh, reaching a record in around March, April this year. Um, on the plus side, though, we are seeing some declines in both phosphate and potash prices from, a again, an extraordinarily high level, but they are coming down. Hey, Chris, so um, with, the, with that, oh, it's a reduction in production now in, in Europe because it's too expensive, right? So is there any estimates on what kind of levels are being kind of knocked off in terms of production? Like how, how much down is it? I can answer this so, because I've, I've read the CRU report. We can just send the link out and people can read it for themselves. Um, no, the, the estimates at the moment, we're at 
55% of, uh, of capacity with nitrogen capacity within Europe uh, is currently not operating. Some of the estimates out there are, are higher than that. Some, some estimates are around 70%. The reality is probably somewhere between the two. Our estimate is based on confirmed um, closures from different producers and they're not going to we don't expect them to tell us absolutely everything that's going on. So, what's the what's um, the, what yeah, would be the chunky would, number? If you got a hundred percent production, how often? Like, it would never be running a hundred percent production, would it? In Europe, there would always Over be the down, course, downtime. So, what would be ten percent would normally be closed off for maintenance anyway. On average, yeah, over the course of a year, um, a plant would typically run for around 330 days. So yeah. uh, you, it, it's very difficult with a nitrogen plant to kind of dial it up and, and dial it down. Uh, it's a pretty sophisticated network of uh, pipes and pressure systems and, and things like that. It's, it's, it is, you know, a, a very, it's a feat of engineering. They really, really are. So, so, it's, so it's going to take a bit of time to, be, to get it back online if gas prices drop. Exactly. It's not like you can just switch it back on again. It's not like you can really just run it at, at half the the rate that you you normally would, like you might be able to do with a, a mine or, or something like that. So it's kind of on um, or off, really. really. Exactly. Exactly. It does it does take some time. You know what we forgot to do? We forgot to do six cents. Mm. I've already done this. I don't yeah, but do it, he's, done, he's done it. He's done it is so many six, times. He's said it five times, isn't he? Yeah, he's done it so many do times. Wanna, do you want to go? Do you want to go back and re record it again? No. Or <laughs> do we just throw it in just now? <laughs> you got to make him do it again. If I think if you've been on more than three or four times, you should be you should be you know, let off the hook maybe. Yeah, but what we can do is it's probably better because over time we can actually see the results change. We can see if there's any personality changes over time. <laughs> yeah, perhaps I become more right wing or something like that as I spend more time. Well, what are, what do we do? How about? <laughs> I, I, We'll just I'll just ask him who's your favorite band, Chris? Oh gosh, that's a that's a good one. Uh favorite band. Uh oh, you've really stumped me. I wasn't expecting that. Um I, 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 can I rephrase a less, a less less sensible answer. <laughs> yeah. Uh oh gosh. Um yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it really depends on the day. Uh, today I have been listening to gosh uh i've been listening to a, someone called robert glasper so he's he's good so we'll say that he's my favorite artist for okay he's your favorite for today robert okay. never never, heard never heard i'm googling him just now oh better better <laughs> better hip-hop is it i think so yes you can uh, maybe class with that bit of jazz not jazz actually right favorite movie uh I, uh, the castle. Let's just say the castle. <laughs> Tell him he's dreaming. <laughs> See, I thought, cause given you're over in the US, I thought you might be homesick for Australiana, so the castle fits, but I was expecting something like Cold Chisel for your favourite band, you know, just to make you feel uh, like you're back at home. Yeah, so, sometimes I do like to put a bit of uh, Australiana on, but uh, not this week. Uh, the the right. Watching the AFL Grand Final this week will be my, my touch of hope. So. What time in the morning will that be on? That'll be on uh, one a.m. I think so. It's going to be yeah, a late Friday night. There'll be there'll be a pub somewhere <clears throat> in New York that'll be that'll be playing, and I'm sure some kind of Australian themed pub. Yeah, absolutely. There's plenty of expats over here, so uh, there's there's no doubt we'll be going to watch with a few few other friends. 
Right, we'll let you off with two then. Yeah, well, see, so you, <laughs> you can tell straight away by how you couldn't think of a band quick enough that he's deteriorating. So, you know, the, the, the sixth sense yeah. is working already. We're seeing that he's starting to lose grip. It is. Reality. You're really you're, you're chipping away at me here. So. <clears throat> you, you say the prices shouldn't be as high as – it should be higher, yeah? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> is that because we're in a less uh, – a, a less a, a weaker demand environment at the moment because there'll be less purchasing at this point of year because the Northern Hemisphere is sort of finished. We're starting to get the, the quieter period of the year, I would say, is actually during the summer and we're, we're in a busier period right now, I would say. There has definitely been some demand destruction through the course of this year in, in ag markets because farmers just haven't been willing to pay up to uh, to these yeah, extraordinary high levels. Uh, but there's also quite a lot of nitrogen particularly that goes into industrial markets. Uh, and we're seeing industrial production in East Asia, in Europe, really sliding. Um, so so that does help to kind of soften the blow somewhat. That was, that was going to be my next sort of question. When, when you've got the, you guys at CRU, I know it's not your area because you're the, the Fert King, uh, in terms of, you got to look, guys look at things like steel and stuff as well, yeah? We do, yeah. And are you starting to see um, sort of curtailment in steel production in Europe and elsewhere? Uh, yes, we are. So zinc smelting, some energy intensive processes like that, we are starting to see that pullback. I'm not sure if it's pulling back to the extent that fertilizers are. Uh, but yeah, we are seeing that in steel markets. Generally, we do see steel prices starting to slide lower. That's due to some of the construction concerns within China, you know, the, the kind of property market concerns there, uh, but also, yeah, just this kind of softening macro environment means that uh, we're starting to see a bit of a build-up in steel inventories. Um, we cover base metals, copper markets, things like that here as well. Inventories of those products are actually not really that high, but again, because of the concerns around recession, we're seeing lots of those markets starting to come off as well. So one of, one of the original podcasts we did a few years ago was during that time where everyone was banging on about super cycles. Yes. Is that over with or are super cycles? Is it a super cycle? We, at that point, I think we were saying it wasn't a super cycle. Yep, we were, we were saying that. And it's, it is really interesting because if you look at our prices across the board of the different commodities that we forecast, so... so we're not like a commodity market is still going to move in cycles. Any analyst who tells you that price is going to be higher forever shouldn't be an analyst and probably should look for a job elsewhere because supply and demand fundamentals ultimately went out. So we will continue to operate in cycles. What I would say is that the trough, so the bottom of the next cycle in verts or steel or copper, it is going to be higher. Um, so, and that is a result of these higher energy prices that we see right now. So if you're a low cost commodity producer, that's great for you because your margins are still going to be fairly favorable. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're at the higher end, a higher cost end of that spectrum, then uh, your margins, despite those higher prices, your margins are still going to be very, very tight because you know, you're ultimately going to have a much higher cost of production. You made that point about analysts, you know, obviously Matt and I are, analysts as well and uh, in terms of that's the thing that frustrates us as well is we often hear this the new norm and i think mm -hmm. i had a, a whinge about this a few weeks ago uh, because somebody told me that canola prices would never fall again it'd always be above 900 but currently 
south of that anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we've got these high fertilizer prices, we've got obviously plants in the early phase in, in Australia. Uh, have we got any other new plants around the world that are looking to be uh, developed off the back of these high fertilizer prices? It's, I would say from this kind of recent boom in prices, it's still a little bit too early for projects to be um, confirmed and, and committed to. Uh, there's definitely been an uptick in, in interest in, in building projects. There's no doubt about that. Uh, it is still a little bit difficult in more kind of developed areas of the world to build a fertilizer project because of some of the, the various different ESG and compliance things that, that need, mm. people need to consider now. Um, we do still see, again, we, our bread and butter and what we do is looking at, okay, these are the projects that are coming and this is the, the demand that we project. If you look at urea, the amount of capacity that's being built over the next five years far outweighs the demand growth. It's a similar thing with potash as well. There's lots of potash mines that are coming back um, from being idled, particularly in Canada. Uh, you know, there's going to be that supply is going to hit the market over the next couple of years, and again, far outweigh the demand growth. It's a little bit different on the phosphate front. There is more demand growth than capacity, new capacity coming in, but there is still a lot of capacity that's laying there idle in China as well. That ultimately means you're not going to see a, a kind of drastic escalation and decoupling in those phosphate prices because of that. Chris, um, when you mentioned before about that that kind of estimate of 55 to 70% of nitrogen for production kind of down at the moment, is there any is there any view on how long it could sit like that and, and remain at low production levels? It's going to be totally dependent on gas prices. I would say, Matt, I mean, those European gas prices right now, I mean, they've come down over the last week or so, but the, the level that they have been is just being extraordinary and then such a higher level than the other kind of gas benchmarks in the world. So when when gas prices do start to so much normalise, we come down from those extraordinary levels, then we will start to see some of that capacity come back online. Uh, it may also come back online if there is government support that, that comes in. So that'll be a really interesting thing. The, the most interesting thing for us to be monitoring over the coming weeks and months is you know, governments stepping in when they realise that, wow, these fertiliser plants are actually quite important, not just for producing fertiliser, but the CO2 that goes into abattoirs, the CO2 that goes into beer and fizzy drinks. Um, wow, there's get, so many different... Well, exactly. And there are so many different byproducts from the fertilizer production process that get a little bit overlooked and then all of a sudden there's a bit of a crisis and there's a willingness from governments there to, to step in. So we haven't seen a huge amount of that yet. Uh, governments are trying to keep relatively <clears throat> disciplined because they have to ration their gas supply uh, for the upcoming winter. Uh, but there may be some kind of key industries that really do have success in, in lobbying to, to open some of these parts back up again. But in terms of like that gas price coming down, that's really on Putin's head, really, isn't it, at the moment? For at least the next year or so, I would say yes. Um, whilst some new there's, there's LNG no- import terminals being built and that supply is being diversified, uh, yeah, it, it's really. But even, even if you, even if you, Russia is going to be key. if you've got Putin turned off, and then you've got those LNG, it still wouldn't be coming back to anywhere near normal levels. 
if you don't have Russia? Yeah, I, I, without going into too much detail in those gas flows, it's going to take some time for to kind of completely replace Russian flows. And it's going to be a lot more expensive to do so because you're building, so it's, you it's don't have a pipeline going directly into the system. You've got, you've so got it's going to have, LNG terminals. It's going to have a huge impact on the European economy, though. Yeah. Like it, you, it is. And or, yeah, already, it, you're already seeing the, the effects of it, I would say. So recession. If we're not already in one, I think that, yeah, it's it's highly, highly likely. I'm not sure whether our macroeconomics team are forecasting that yet, but definitely not the crew view, but the, my personal view is we're, we're going to be in a fairly deep recession. Um, it's um, the, the, the end of the EU. You heard it from Chris right here. That's what I said. I, no, I <laughs> definitely did not say that. Um, if it's... Um... Typical Brexiteer. He spent his time in London. <laughs> now, he's, now he's living next to Trump in New York. Yep. If it, yeah. it, this is probably more a question actually for Andrew, and we know that he doesn't get enough time to speak on the mm. podcast, so I'll try and bring him in. Um, Thanks. Thanks, Matt. If, um, if it, say, extends for a period of time where production is impacted significantly, whether no, it's... I, I, was gonna, I know the question. I was going to ask Chris well, this question, but anyway, go on. Well, you might not, you might not know, because... Anyway, I'll Chris, continue. Chris, Chris knows everything. Right. That's why, that's well, why we'll get him on. Well, it's actually more of kind of, you know, a grainy type question and, and uh, yeah, that, that side. So I didn't think necessarily Chris might answer that, but he might be able to. So feel free to jump in and steal the answer away from Andrew, Chris. If you want. So, so say hypothetically we've got a period where production's impacted. Now, even if it's not as high as 55 or 70%, say it's, you know, 40% down over an extended period of time. What kind of impact is that going to have on on the use of it and then therefore the, the yields around the world for, for, for bloody grains and whatever else, you know, and that's why I thought it'd be an Andrew question, you know, how, how much is it going to impact yields? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, has anyone I, looked at that? No. Well, or, no we, I, we, think, we, I think like, like Chris was saying, he's already answered that question. What? Well, demand destruction, isn't there? Hmm. The farmers are going to, if, if, yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to quantify it. Quantify yeah, it. Well, if you yeah. get a forty percent reduction in the use of, uh, I think I think the impact for, in Australia will be stronger potentially than other places because of the fact that we've had you know two, three years of large crops in a row sucking out a lot of nutrients. And I'm not an agronomist, so I could be talking about. So maybe that's a off. question for. We need to get an agronomist on here to say if we if we <laughs> were using less. <laughs> it's. it's <laughs> We have done some studies into this. We've worked for we've worked with some other kind of big data companies, Grow Intelligence being one of them, to try and work this out uh, on a global level. It's an extraordinarily difficult task to do oh, because imagine. there are so many factors that that feed into you know what the ultimate yield of a crop is going. That's to why be. I thought it's such nutrition. a complex question. That's why I thought Andrew would have the answer straight away. <laughs> well, I've got a theoretical answer. Is that it, I think it takes a year or two for it to actually flow through to yields mm. because you've always got nutrients still in the soil. Um, it, it definitely on the on the phosphate and potash front, nitrogen is a little more sensitive. Um, so the calculations that, that we came out with working with this other group was it's essentially 72 trillion calories that we're going to be lost from the fertilizer shortfalls this year. Um, which is trillion calories sorry yeah yeah so you think about your kind of two three how, how many uh, how many sort of thing, uh, how, how many sydney harbour basins is that 
I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but, it, but essentially what that result is in terms of crop yields, uh, it's not the doom and gloom scenario that many people that were out there were kind of prognosticating. It, it, it's, it's much less severe than that. But given that we're, particularly in the nitrogen front, looking like we're heading into 2023 with, again, still some potential shortfalls, there is a bit more of a risk going into next year that that number may be higher and, and yields may drop even more. Um, again, there's been lots of weather issues out there in the world this year that probably would have had a far more detrimental impact on mm. the yields achieved than the fertilizer shortfalls. You know, a pretty hot, dry summer here in the US, for example, has knocked a fair bit off the corn yields. Oh. It's been bone dry within Europe. Yep. It's been dry and in parts China. of China and wet in parts of China. So <laughs> those things probably have a greater impact than the, the loss of fertilizer, in all honesty. So it's not all doom and gloom. It isn't. Um, again, it's it's pretty tight. And you, again, you guys speak about this far more fluently than me, but grain stocks to use ratios are all pretty tight and, and worrisome. So you, again, you don't want to have too many disasters in place. You want to eke out the yields that you possibly can to try and uh, alleviate some of that tightness. Well, so this situation definitely doesn't help, but it's not technically from, an from an Australian point of view, we do want some disasters elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah okay <laughs> oh we got a big crop we want to we want to get out onto the market and we want uh you know a nice little drought in europe russia and over next year would be good so it's a very capitalistic uh, uh frame of mind you got there Andrew, i reckon, I reckon, I reckon how, do, how do you feel about I, that matt being the the greenie of the group <laughs> I think it demonstrates, well, we know economics was um, was discovered by Adam Smith, of course, a Scottish man. Mm. So I think the capitalist blood runs through Andrew's vein, you know, from a hereditary perspective, culturally. So you can't, do you know what I mean? You can't take it out of... Um... I, I tell you what, if, if anyone is actually listening to this who's a farmer, I reckon 100% of farmers will agree that they would be pretty happy for a drought in other parts of the world and wouldn't give a monkey's. As, as long as they were producing and they got a higher price. Mm -hmm. Are they not making good margins at the moment? I mean, again, you think about where ag commodity sure? prices are right now, they're much higher than where they've been over a kind of 10-year average. Yes, input prices are, prices are much higher, but aren't those margins still okay? Yeah, could always be better. You know, like, <laughs> if, I know, Chris, you go to the gym, yeah? And 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 you're you know a grade A basketball player until you broke your knee. Yeah. You know, is five goals enough, or is six better? Six is always better. Exactly. But sport is very different. Sport's exactly the same. Yeah, I think I think <laughs> yeah, kind of. You could probably you can probably quietly be 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 pleased that there's some other thing happening in the world that makes your pricing better in Australia. But I think you, you don't want to be kind of gloatful over it and hope, hope that something happens. If it's happens mm. and you go, oh, that was fortuitous, but Push. you can't, you can't sit around going, let's hope other people suffer so I can benefit. But that's, but that's, I, I agree with like gloating about, there was people gloating about the invasion of Ukraine, about how that would mm. help prices. That's unacceptable to me. Mm. But when it comes to drought, that is just normal supply and demand. 
you know, that's what drives the price. We got our highest prices when Russia has a drought. The US has a drought. Anyway, we digress. This is a bit of a Heuberg tangent. On, uh, I feel like I'm getting counselled here. I feel yeah. like I'm getting... <laughs> On my... Well, you might get cancelled as well, Andrew, with, yeah, with that's some of those views uh, yeah. that you're putting out there. Yeah, you might, could you be... might not, might not make, be making a comeback anytime soon. But... Hopefully. Uh, sure, I, I, are you going to well, be able I'll... to continue writing for The Guardian with those views? <laughs> Fair point, so. And, and the difference is, I think the difference is the perspective of, hey, you know, if you, like I say, if you, if you acknowledge it happens and you go, there's a drought there in Russia... Um, that's meant we've we've done better. Oh, that was fortuitous. That's that's probably reasonable. But to say in advance of the event, I hope there's a drought in Russia. That's that's the that's the difference. You're hoping misfortune. I'm, hope. I'm saying it would be good. I'm not saying I hope. I said it would be good. And anyway, if you're listening to this podcast, this is Psychology 101 with Matt and Chris. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's the maybe it's the broken elbow, Andrew, and the and the drugs still kind of impacting your judgment. My judgment is perfect. <laughs> so anyway, Chris, you talk about inputs, but it's not just it's not just fertilizer is expensive. So margins mm-hmm. margins are going to be strong just by virtue of the fact that we've had rain, <clears throat> and and we're producing a big couple of big crops in a row. But labor is expensive, chemicals expensive, fertilizer expensive, fuel fuel fuels expensive. So everything's expensive. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I reckon farmers will agree with me. So I'm I'm speaking to the the audience. Not you lefties. Fair enough. Fair enough. Righto. Manure prices. Any data on that yet? Are no, you still, not still, yet. still working on that? No, it, yeah, we're not even working on it. There's only been one request that's come through for that so far, and it's from yourself. So that's, that's well, not enough. The other, the other thing, though, as well, the other thing as well, though, Chris, is in a short period of time, it won't really matter what manure prices are doing anymore, will it, Andrew? Nope. So, yeah, we're, we're soon to be ex pig farmers. So, I sold the, uh, I sold the urea plant as well. Mm. Yep, <laughs> that's gone. Yes, that's actually, yeah, you're out of the urea. Market. Market. Yeah, you're not a, you're not a supply of urea anymore either. I, I did not disclose that there was a urea plant in the shed. <laughs> so, so that'll be a little bonus for the for the buyer come the warmer period. Get quite uh, a lot of uh, value out of that right now, given the uh, the price of urea. Not, not worth yeah. the risk of collection though, uh, from <laughs> from the eastern brown snake. Mm. So so, right oh, we've kept the sort of the important questions to the end, the questions that farmers actually want to hear. Okay. When is fertilizer prices going to actually start to fall? Uh, well, again, depends on the fertilizer. We are seeing phosphates and potash coming down now, uh, and we would expect that trajectory, or we do expect that trajectory to continue over the coming six months or so. Uh, on the nitrogen front, again, we're going to continue. We think we're going to continue to see price increases over the coming couple of months. But as we get into February, March, as Europe starts to come out of winter, uh, then we should start to see some prices declining thereon. But yeah, it, it's going to the nitrogen market's going to be uh, relatively tight for the coming few months. So. 
like if we look at from from farmers' perspective in Australia, yeah, they're going to be starting to purchase most of their inputs. <sighs> Probably nowadays this, the purchasing seems to have changed, so people are buying it a lot more a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. So probably from, I reckon for next season, from end of September, really, until February, March. So that's going to, apart from maybe some nitrogen, but that's going to basically pointing towards a pretty high price environment. Yeah. And there's no real, no real going back from that now. Not for a couple of years, no. Uh, it's still, yeah, um, is it, despite this kind of trajectory that we, that we talk about now, you know, it, takes a while for that to kind of full uh, pass through the, the supply chain. Um, and yeah, ultimately when farmers are doing their budgets for next year's crop, they should be factoring in still relatively high fertilizer prices. Um, but yeah, there, there are kind of ways they can manage that risk and, and think about their, their pricing. And kind of, again, part of the reason that we have these conversations is so, farmers can go out and, and speak with their different input sales reps and then have some kind of market knowledge to fall back on. I guess you think of it, yeah? Like you look at, uh, Matt, you're a statistician, you're an economics trained person, you know, and we've had 2020, 21, and now coming 22 big crops in a row, big rainfall events, Leninas, three, three Leninas in a row. Yeah, that's yeah. very uncommon. I think it's only been two or th- two or three times in history that we've seen three in a row in Australia. Yeah. Well, I guess coming for next year, the chances are it shouldn't be as big of a year. But you can know, never say never. So do you think farmers in Australia, Chris, would start to uh, ration their demand pretty significantly? Or... Alternatively, do you think they're going to have to use more because they need to put the nutrients back in after big crops? It's a bit of a cop-out answer, but it's going to be different from each farm to farm. Everyone's going to have their own different approach. Uh, yes, there will be some nutrient replacement requirements there. I think there'll be lots of soil testing being done to work out just how much needs to be put back in and what farmers can get away with. Uh, one of the um, developments that we've seen over this past year or so, particularly here in the US, is farmers looking to, you know, trial and, and use different fertilizer enhancing products, whether that be kind of coatings on their fertilizer or, you know, exploring different biological products that can unlock a bit more nutrition from the soil. We have seen a lot of popularity in, in those types of products this year, which again, kind of, 10 years ago when I was a research agronomist were generally kind of seen as snake oil, um, but they, they seem to have a bit more credibility now. And again, we're seeing some of those products um, become more popular as, as this high input price. Cause you, you guys, you guys did a, I was a bit, a bit of, you know, disappointed we didn't get invited to speak, but you yeah. did a, a conference last week or the week before uh, on ag tech. We did. Yes. And yeah. that, that had a focus on fertilizer. Yeah, so it was a, a conference specifically focused on ag tech developments in the yeah, plant nutrition space. So looking at some of the different digital platforms that are out there and um, traceability platforms, but also yeah, just the, the biological products um, that are becoming so popular and yeah, uh, seeing how that how all those new products fit in with the existing kind of fertilizer companies and, and supply chain. What was the most impressive one? 
Uh, they were all impressive in their oh, own different way. Come on, he's such a, he's such I can't, a, I can't take a, I can't such a diplomat. A he's, he's, he's been in New York for so long now. He's becoming he's, you know, he's part of the United Nations. He's a diplomat. Come on, Chris. But no one no, no, listens this podcast anyway. So <laughs> I would genuinely say that the biological space is attracting a lot more funding now. There is a lot of potential there if those. Um, solutions can kind of scale up and the biggest problem they have right now is actually you know those biological products actually turning up to the farm alive um, mm. so if some of those issues can be uh, sorted out then yeah there's there's great potential there and you know thinking longer term that has potential to really shave off some fertilizer it's not going to completely stop the need for fertilizer but it will help to shave some of the volumes off and then prices paid on that front. Andrew you mentioned we're saving all the really tough questions and also the the ones that farmers really want to know to the end so I've got I've got another question for Chris that's um that's a bit out of the box. Is is how you got a view Chris on who's going to win the AFL grand final? Uh, Chris hold on hold on Chris Matt, do you even know who's in the grand final? <laughs> <laughs> I think, is it Geelong and um, Collingwood? I don't know. No. I, I no, said Geelong. Geelong, Geelong, Geelong oh, there you go. I knew it was Geelong there because I saw Geelong, it. Geelong and who? Sydney. Sydney. Geelong Sydney. have won 15 games in a row. Sydney have won nine. Um, Geelong will be going in as the Red Hot favorites, favorites obviously. Oh, is the official uh, CIU view is that Geelong is going to win? I think, I think so. My local team, the Meningi Bears, are merging into a new club next year called the Kurong Cats. So, oh, so you've got a vested that, interest. I'm going to support the Cats and vested interest. say that the Cats are going to win. Yeah. Right. It's going to be a, a period, period of cat domination here on in. So. There we go. There we go. You heard it here first. <clears throat> you heard yeah. it from <laughs> CRU have said that Biologicals are the best thing going, and, <laughs> and, and all the other, and all the other presentations were terrible. At the <laughs> uh, they're going to invite us next year to speak on on ag tech because we're in ag tech. Apparently so, yeah. Everyone's in ag tech if you've got a computer. Um, <laughs> there's a recession coming in Europe. Europe's going to collapse. The the, the, the EU's finished. He's finished. Yeah. Well, that's not the case, but they're going to have, have a very tough couple of months. Years, I reckon. And yeah. um, fertilizer prices are going to be high, higher for longer. Uh, higher for, they'll never come off again. Never come off again. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good, good thing you're not a fertilizer analyst, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Any other final bits of wisdom, Chris? Uh, oh. Uh, no, I think we've we've covered the the basics, guys. I would say one of the, the interesting things that we're monitoring right now is the grain deal between well that was signed between Russia and, and Ukraine. There is an interesting fertilizer component to that with the ammonia that's, that that comes out of Russia that's for, that's for, for really Ukraine, yeah. That goes does, yeah. So Russia is the largest ammonia exporter usually, not this year because their main uh, pathway of getting that ammonia out of Russia is through a pipeline which passes through Ukraine. So Russia is a bit annoyed at the moment about the grain deal because they're not really getting their ammonia out. Um, so if that does happen, that will 
help to bring nitrogen prices down. Uh, it won't really help the Europeans too much because their gas prices are still going to be high and the ammonia prices will be lower. So their margins will be suppressed even more or even hmm. more negative than what they are now. Um, but that, if that ammonia does start to get out, then that will provide a bit of relief to the nitrogen market. And also, just a quick one as well. A lot of fertilizer in China is mm -hmm. produced using coal, yeah? Yep. And we've got record high coal prices as well. Mm -hmm. So that must be keeping theirs, keeping a floor in their fertilizer price as well. It is a, China's imposed some other. I mean, we've, we've talked that's, about that's this. That's what I was going to say. That's my next yeah. question as well. Is that export, I'm not going to say banned because you don't like that word, but that restrictions, is that still on? Yeah, well, they, they are still moving product out, but it is much, much lower than what we've seen in previous years because there are quotas that are in place. Um, so, yeah, there is a kind of heavy hand from the government there and kind of controlling the volumes of fertilizer that leave China. That is helping to keep those Chinese fertilizer prices lower compared to global levels. But they're still, when you look at the China domestic price, it's still much higher than what it has been historically. And that's what the government cares about most. So until we see those historic domestic China prices, sorry, those domestic China prices come down closer to their kind of historical averages, we're not going to see a, a mass opening up of so China. With gas prices and coal prices high, we're going to see no reprieve from China then? Not for, not until probably well into 2023 in terms of them letting and, more product out. And just one one final one. I know I said we had one final question, but just not, another final question. These plants in Australia, yeah? So there's the one in South Australia, two in Western Australia. Mm -hmm. What's what's the go with them? What's, what's your views on them? Do you think they'll get the go ahead and be built uh they're making promising developments i would say again a project always looks more promising when prices are as, as high as they are right now um i don't think we've got any of them in our base case just yet uh because there's various different offtake agreements that need to be confirmed and various different stages of financing um but yeah the, what's happening in the market right now is it would be helpful for, for the progression of those. But that's 2025, 2026. Yeah, they're, not they're not going to come in the next year or two, are they? No, that's, they're not. That, that's the question we got from somebody. When are these plants going to be available? Will it be available this year? I'm like, <laughs> have, a, have a look at a fertilizer plant and see how complicated it is. And I don't think it's going to be yeah. completed in the next six months. So. Yeah, the, the build-out time is uh, quite lengthy. So, yeah, they're, they're not going to be there to provide any kind of relief uh, over this next year and I would dare say the year after as well, just given... It isn't one, of, one, of, the, one of the ones in West Australia is a bit questionable anyway, isn't it, as to whether it will get the go. So, I mean, the South Australian one's a lot going along quite well, isn't it? The Strike Energy, that looks kind of like pretty good, but I thought strike, one of the strike, strike, strike Energy isn't West Australia. Oh, that's the Lee Creek. There's, Sorry, there's, Lee there's Creek. one, yeah. the one up north has had a lot of issues with uh, First Nations people. Yeah, so yeah, it's the mainly Perdaman project. Yeah, that's so, it. Yeah, there's environmental permitting that needs to be sorted out before we take a project. You know, put it put it in its it's in our base case. There's yeah financing that needs to be sorted out, um, and yeah offtake agreements need to be sorted out as well. So that's why we don't have any in our base case right now. But as I say, that they're making some good 
progress. I think Lee Creek Energy has changed its name to Reason. New Riser now. New Riser, yeah. New Riser. So, um, yeah, we, we, we track them closely. And, yeah, there's always kind of ups and downs with projects project developments. And the Perdomen project, that's the, the really, really big one in, in WA. That's the one that's faced. That, that, some got, some, that got some government funding, though, as well, didn't it? In the previous government. 200 million? I believe so, yes. Yeah, we tried to get some money for that for the manure, but we couldn't get a government grant. <laughs> no. Even though, even though it's organic, that would be a selling point. Right, oh, well, we've taken enough of your time, and I know you've got stuff to do in an evening in New York. You'll be out visiting 50 cents again or whatnot, you know, listening to your rap music, you know. Indeed, indeed. Yes, uh, thanks very much for having me again, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, see you when you got nothing. See you when you got nothing. Ciao.